Hello, everybody, and welcome to Returning to Tradition. As always, I'm your host, Chris Dixon, a seminarian of the Diocese of Columbus, joined with... Your normal, average Joe, better host, Emma Singletary. Didn't know your name was Joe. Anyways, this is Controversial Questions, part two. Um, first question of this podcast. Yeah. I'm not going to say who, but someone came up to me in the church and was like, so Emma... Is it true that you're the better podcast host? And I was like, would I say it if it wasn't true? And I was just like, felt really famous, you know, like oh. fa- the fans are approaching me. I, I can't deny Given it. Given that it's a self-professed title, um, well, they asked I don't, me, and, and those, I had to affirm it. I mean, it, it's you know, not like, like it, it's literally just one day you got on here, you introduce yourself as the co-host, and you're here like. Um, I'm the better host. Then you just asserted that from the beginning, and you can't um, deny the truth, Chris. You you cannot reject I, the truth. I mean, what what factual evidence is there to support your claim? Um, I think we should get an Instagram base so we can start doing polls and ask them. You can actually do polls on Spotify. Can you actually mm-hmm. put a? I'm poll? not sure how they actually work, but there's like a thing for it when I create the podcast episode. So okay, so Chris Thank is going to figure out how to put a poll on this podcast, and everyone vote who's the better co-host. You can only vote if you're listening on Spotify. So um, that's only like forty percent of you. But what people uh, don't listen on? What do they listen on? Apple Podcasts. Ugh. Yeah. iPhone. Have you heard the theory that Apple is actually a giant? Um, Emma. Sorry. We have an episode to record. <laughs> but like, Adam and Eve, just think about it. Terms and conditions, have you accepted? That's all you gotta think about. Big, big brain thoughts. Very big brain. You can put this in the Also in a small brain. Okay. Um, hey. So, Emma, you have questions for us as you put a big bite of Panda Express in your mouth. Uh I told you you can't eat and record the podcast at the same time. Yes, I can. Uh-huh. I'm she says sure. with chubby cheeks that she's pushing, pushing the food to the side. Are you body shaming me? I'm pretty sure you are the one. I don't think that's body shaming. Who was like, Emma, you need to eat food. So really, I'm just listening it's to you. It's 8.45 in the evening. Why have you not eaten dinner? I was playing a soccer game. And then I went to swim. Why did you work out twice instead of eating dinner? Because the soccer game isn't that much. You know what Megan said when when you said you were going to, when I told her that you were going to work out after the soccer game? What'd she say? She said you aren't playing hard enough if you can swim afterward. <laughs> Emma just said I'm not for the record, so. Um, it's just. So then I don't want to hear. It's just Question. Me. On the Catholic Church that's controversial, go. One word. Abortion. Yeah? What about it? You know, us Catholics are all like, you know, like, it's bad. Why? Are us Catholics like it's bad? Because I'm pretty sure devout Catholic Joe Biden, President of the United States. Oh, that's actually one of the Uh, controversial questions I have on uh, here. Yeah. Concerns Joe Biden. So stay tuned. Um, but first question, like abortion. I think this is just such a. It's so weird how politicized it's become because like, it's such a basic thing that it's it's almost weird to think how how misconstrued it's become. 
in the world. Um, so just give us the theology. Obviously, like I know it, but you know, you know, it's not a help, theological help. argument. Like, it's it a is. biological one. Oh, I think they go hand in hand, but yes. Well, yeah, but like I don't need God to prove that abortion is wrong. I can use biology, and that's actually even a better position to claim from. Facts. Um, biological argument: man, woman, egg, sperm, new person with new DNA. Zygote. Every person should be protected because why wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even Russian citizens who are doing nothing wrong in the war right now, like, or are being brainwashed by Putin, should be protected. Mm -hmm. Even Putin should be protected, as weird as that is, although mm -hmm. he should be in jail and not have any authority over anything. Um, but, like, yeah, there's so, so there's that different degree of things. Like, you can you can restrict how much a person can do, just like going to jail, right? Like, we're gonna put Putin in jail because he's a bad person, but we aren't gonna kill him because killing is bad. We shouldn't kill. That's like, I can't just go around killing people because I. It's more convenient for me to not have them in my life, like. Um, if that was the logic, Chris would be dead right now. Wow. She she took the, my joke that I normally make about her. That's what I'm saying. That's I impressive. To, I have, it like, goes both ways. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I love Chris. But that kind of... <laughs> I love Chris, but... <laughs> but going back to the topic at hand of abortion... Um, and this kind of goes, I wanted to tie in all the topics of the life and dignity of the human person. Like, literally in the Bible, it says, do not kill. Um, and if we truly believe that, then how can we possibly, like, justify any killing? Um, especially with the modern day, it's not technology, but systems that we have in place through the criminal justice system, where, like, yes, we can put people in jail for the rest of their lives. So it's, like, in no case, besides maybe self-defense, and isn't righteous war one of them? Yeah. But in no other case, like, is killing our job. You know, like, the life of a person is by God's design, from conception to natural death. So this includes abortion. Because I don't even want to say, like, as Catholics, we believe. No, like, this is just, like, down to science. Life starts at conception. Life starts when the sperm meets the egg and a new person is formed. Um, and that's just science. Like, if you were to ask any scientist, you know, when you can't pose it as in when does life begin? Because that's all up for debate. But here's the thing is, like, if you're going to say, like, when is a new thing made? It's at conception. It's at that meeting between the sperm and the egg. And so you can't deny that fact. And then comes the argument of like, oh, well, it's not really a life. And here's the thing about science. Um, it's constantly evolving. Um, and our morals shouldn't, you know, our morals should be steady. And so with science, you know, that date of like when quote unquote life begins keeps on getting pushed, you know, like earlier and earlier as modern medicine and science progresses. like. It's going to get to the point to where, you know, 
I'm not going to say this, but, like, it could get to the point to where you don't even need, like, a body to hold, you know, a, an egg and a sperm. You know, like, it's going to get to the point to where those um, people, those babies can exist outside of the womb or in a synthetic womb, like what they're doing right now. So it's just, like, the science is constantly going to evolve. So taking care of those lives is, like, you, you, we need to stand by those from the beginning to the end. So on that note comes the ideas of, you know, murder. I think we can all agree that that's bad. But like euthanasia, where does the Catholic teaching stand on euthanasia? So um, to be woke, as the kids say, um, let's let's take an example from devout Catholic Mark Wahlberg, um, who who has some car dealerships in Columbus, by the way. Um, Emma just asked to Mark Wahlberg. Can we put this in the book? Mark Wahlberg is a Hollywood actor who just released uh, tomorrow, but by the time you're listening to this, about a week ago. About um, a week ago. Oh. <laughs> the sign well, that down. Um, about a week ago, uh, Mark Wahlberg released a movie called Father Stew. Um, he used his own funds. So he's like a famous big time Hollywood actor guy. Okay. Uh, he used his own funds to fund the movie, get it released in Hollywood, plays the priest in it. Mel Gibson, you know Mel Gibson. Isn't he controversial? Yeah, but like he's Catholic too. But he made The Passion of the Christ, which oh. uh, Mel Gibson plays Father Stew's dad. Um, so, like, it's a big Catholic production here, obviously, with the Wait. title of the movie being Father Stu. Um, but the fact is, he was a relatively young priest. Um, didn't become a priest until a relatively old age, if that makes sense. Uh, he didn't become a priest until he was 43. Um, so very late in life. And um, he was a priest for seven years and died at the age of 50. Um so uh, at the time of his ordination, the bishop was wrestling with the fact over whether he should ordain him, ordain him a priest because they know he's going to die. Um, and eventually the bishop said, well, yeah, we're going to ordain him because uh, that priest is suffering in the suffering of Christ. And that just is fitting for the role of a priest because the priest is in the person of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. I'm getting somewhere with this, I promise. I don't um, think you are. So the fact is they knew he was sick and there was no cure from the time of his ordination. Huh. And so uh, that at some point along the line, he got asked, if you weren't Catholic, would you have committed assisted suicide? Like, because he's obviously a Catholic priest, not going <laughs> to do that. Um, and and it's kind of was used as a rhetorical point in the article I was reading about it. Mm-hmm. to uh, contrast with the fact that this man was in a nursing home for three, four years of his priesthood mm-hmm. and was serving them, saying mass for them, mm-hmm. hearing confessions there, That's awesome. and lived every moment of his life in that nursing home as a minister of the church, as the hands and feet of Christ, despite failing health conditions, to the point where he couldn't even move, confined to a wheelchair. He had to have people 
move his hands to the chalice to offer mass. What um, did he, like, what illness did he have? It's some rare disease. It's similar to Luke Eric's is what okay. my understanding is. Um, but I haven't seen the movie. Sounds like it's going to be good. The fact is the man, very low on health, but he used his life to glorify God in spite of the fact that he was suffering. Um, he just offered every moment up to Christ. And so um, that's kind of the solution to assisted suicide. Offer your suffering, unite it with Christ. Um, you know, be, because again, every life can do something like that. If if Father Stu did, uh, did have an assisted suicide, then like, you know, those those years of ministry uh, would have been lost and, and who knows how many lives would have been changed. Uh, and there probably wouldn't be a Hollywood movie being made about it. Yeah. And who knows how many people are going to be affected by the Hollywood movie. Yeah. And so that could be you. Like he's an average priest. Like nothing extraordinary about the guy. Um, not a saint yet. I mean, he might be one day. But um, I mean, he's just average. We're average. And so why... Um, why should we consider ourselves anything less than that? Yes. Super, super cool. <laughs> Can't get it for you don't know who Mark Wahlberg is. I'm sorry! <laughs> I, like, I heard the name, like, I know the name, like, I know just, like, the name, but, like, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't even know what Mel Gibson looks like. Is that bad? I don't know what Mel Gibson. I know what. I know that he like got into some hot like fire. Like, but anyways, I feel next like question. For some reason, I thought Mark Wahlberg was like something like Microsoft. What's the guy who is in charge of Microsoft? I don't know, but here here's Mark Wahlberg. Do you like that picture? There? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wait, let me see. Let me see the face. <laughs> Anyways, he kind of looks like Father Mike Schmidt. They should make a movie maybe, together. Maybe, kind of. I he, could see. I could see. I feel like out of everyone in Hollywood, he could play Father Mike Schmidt in a movie. Oh, he he plays Father Stu in Father Stu. So, um, <laughs> look at that. Um, um, yeah. He gained thirty pounds to play Father Stu. Bro, I want a so. job where I can do that. Yeah. Gain thirty pounds to get billions of dollars. What's your next question? <laughs> okay, so we kind of settled the, you know, life and dignity of the human person. Starts at conception, ends at natural death. You know, the argument is basically, like, God is the only one who has the authority over life. Because um, he gives it. Um, so, yeah. Next question. And it's so funny that you said this. Joe Biden... Well, you brought up abortion. But, like, and... I was going there. Because this is what actually prompted this. was, like, I was, like, oh, I want to ask Chris on the podcast about this. <laughs> but, like, I saw this picture of him after Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday, not exclusively Catholic, of course. But since Joe... It's Joe. Since sure. Joe claims to be Catholic, it made me think of it. Is Joe actually Catholic? Like, Joe is Biden, he excommunicated or is he Joe not? Biden is a... Uh, Baptized Catholic. Who, Is it confirmed? Yeah, I believe so. 
who I believe he's married in the church too. All that. Um, Joe Biden is a man who claims to be a devout Catholic, however, comma, according to the code of canon law, since he um, has continuously supported abortion uh, politically and has done so publicly, he is, by the letter of the law, automatically excommunicated from the Catholic Church. So can he However, it? comma, oh, no. Um, no bishop has had the balls to excommunicate him, given the only one that can do so is his local bishop. Um, do, do they give him or the Pope. So, so that's kind of how the hierarchy of the church comes into play. Um, but, like, local local <clears throat> parish priests have been known to re- refuse him communion. Um, oh, goodness. And a number of other things, because of the fact that the man outwardly supports abortion and also outwardly claims to be a devout Catholic. You can't do both of those things. Which is You so... can. You can. Let's be clear. You can be a Catholic and support abortion if you do so privately. Like, that's kind of where, where that ends. Where the line like, is. It was yeah. like, you have to do so privately. Um, and, and then, like, that because it's a, a, a case of scandal. Um, if if a man in in with all the media looking at him uh, says says I'm a devout Catholic, and the next sentence says I support abortion, uh, it seems like like the perception from people would be the Catholic, the Catholic Church, Church supports abortion. abortion, and that's not the not the case. So it, it brings scandal to the church. And he's supporting the murder of innocent human life. Um, and that's bad, obviously. Um, you know? Yes, very bad. <laughs> um, so, so uh, the, what it really comes down to is a, a pastoral issue that his bishop should uh, make a decisive thing on and be like, you you can have one but not the other. You can you can support abortion publicly, or you can stop doing that and then be restored to the the grace of the church. Um, well, so, not even the grace. So of the now now here it is. Joe Biden receives communion, to my understanding, every Sunday. Um, anybody can receive communion, like they can receive communion, like. You know, if if you murdered somebody, you could go and receive communion. Um, however, comma, it's probably not the greatest idea because uh, by by doing so, since you have a grave sin on your heart and publicly supporting abortion is a grave sin according to the Code of Canada Law, um, by receiving communion with a grave sin on your heart, you commit another grave sin and you just keep on adding grave sins that's not good um and so really for his spiritual welfare his bishops and and pastors should uh consult with him on that in order to remedy the situation well um and how powerful would that be you know like well the thing is they aren't going to do it i mean they the the news article uh, there's all this talk about politicizing the eucharist and 
using the Eucharist as a weapon, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my god. It's not that's, a, that's it, literally like the definition of like a contradicting statement. Yeah. The Eucharist well, is Well that's the, what that's what that's the point that the news articles are trying to make. It's what how can you make the Eucharist a weapon? You can't. <laughs> well, well, they're saying that because bishops um, or, or priests would be like, you can't receive communion here because you publicly support abortion. Um, you, you're using the the Eucharist as a political weapon against. Joe but at Biden. the same time, it's not a political like. This no, is, it's a theological position well, and it's not even, held by the church, and, and it's not even like you know like against him obviously like yes but like if anything it would be for his benefit to right. stop that cycle so it wouldn't be anything against him it could not be a weapon in that case but it, it's just so interesting like how things like that have gotten politicized like even like life the most basic of all things mm-hmm. has become a political debate yeah. and like a line that so many people like crossover you know and in that same way like trying to politicize the eucharist like how how do you even do that like that is so like just it's just a paradox you know like yeah this is the way by which we're saved not the way by which we're condemned yeah it's it's an issue but again i think it's it's primarily a pastoral one it comes down to those with spiritual authority over him need to take a firm position that is the position of the church and be clear with them about how to remedy it and how to move forward. And so I don't want to say it is what it is, but for now it is what it is because apparently nobody is going to do anything and we're just going to sit back and let it happen. So um, can't say I'm thrilled. Also can't say what I would do if I were in charge of him. I mean, I'd certainly... In charge of him. But my... My first step, no doubt, is to have a one-on-one conversation with him. It says this in the Bible. It's like, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him and and settle the dispute. It's like, that's the first step. So that is the first step. And then the next step, you know, bring people, bring it to the church. And then the final step, you know, okay, well, you've tried all these times. Make it public. It is what it is. And so uh, I don't, we wouldn't know and we can't know if those private conversations have been going on. If they have, great. But at some point, they, if he continues to support abortion, which he has, then it has to escalate to the public stage of public excommunication, I would think. Um, if theoretically, mm-hmm. I don't even know if this is like allowed <laughs> to even like be talking about. Because technically we're talking about a state of someone's soul and we are not called to judge others. But yeah, so I bet theoretically, you my response. So like theoretically, <laughs> if you were a certain guy in a lot of power and you supported abortion publicly, mm-hmm. um, if you went to confession every time before mass, could you receive communion? But then repeatedly made that sin. Because technically, <laughs> technically, he could be so, receiving So this it. is a general question, I guess, Emma, right? Like you're just yeah, saying, totally not referring to a certain guy. So if I commit, I don't know, murder every week and then Bro. go to confession <laughs> every Saturday night before the Saturday anticipated mass, um, 
and then go and receive the communion. And like, then go kill someone the next day. Like, so... So, the, the, the root of the question is, is the confession valid? That's, that's the question you're asking. That's the question you're asking. Like, I don't... That's I, the... Okay, it's the okay, question. Okay, that's the question I'm asking. Uh, because, because if the confession is valid, <gasps> then he can receive the Eucharist. However, But comma, the confession is only valid if it has the correct intent. Look at that. You answered your own question. I've listened so, to the podcast. So if, <laughs> if the person who's committing grave sin isn't actually sorry for their sins... Remember, contrition is an essential component of confession. confession. If you aren't contrite, <laughs> the confession doesn't doesn't actually forgive you of your sins because you aren't sorry. If, what you aren't, if, he actually... if you aren't sorry, you you aren't forgiven in confession. There are exceptions to that, not to be spelled out here because that's a whole uh, a whole rabbit hole. So. Uh, what if said person, totally not the guy we're talking about, mm-hmm. but what if he, yeah. it, they, she, I don't know, said that, like, he was, like, actually sorry. Yeah. He's just, like, some kind of crazy messed up. Yeah, so, like, that's a common thing. It's called habitual sin. Have you heard of that? <laughs> so what if he's, like, habitually doing it, but he's actually sorry? Then, yeah, he can receive communion. It's... So 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 here's here's the thing if if you're constantly doing a grave sin and you're sorry we call that habitual sin in which case it's no longer mortal because it's habitual because a requirement Wait. of mortal sin is that you have the ability to stop yourself from doing it. And if it's a habit, you don't have the ability to stop yourself from doing it. So what if you have a habit of killing people? Yes. (laughs) It's the same thing. That's like the funniest way to answer that. What if you have a habit of killing people? Yes. (laughs) If you have a habit of killing people and you're actually sorry for killing people, but for some reason your brain screwed up to... the. Not screw it. Your ooh, here's a good. Your brain is disordered. To, <gasps> yeah, look at this. Like, your, your, your brain is disordered to the extent that it thinks that killing people is good for some reason. But you're actually sorry for doing it after the fact. But then you end up doing it again. I mean, it. Yeah, you're sorry, but it's habitual, so it's not mortal but you should probably see a doctor or something (laughs) and and that's the same way for for any sin like if you have any habitual sin you should have somebody to deal with that with uh be a spiritual advisor um spiritual director um or or doctor in the case of uh, something like people. like like Emma's uh, situation. For the record, for the record, Emma is not habitually killing people. That we know. Only the one time. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Please do not come after me. I've never killed anyone. Please do not cut I that did. out. <laughs> um, like yeah, the part I where I said I haven't killed anyone. <laughs> Yeah, anyways. Okay, so now returning to the returning of tradition. Mm. 
here's the big kicker, you know, with like the whole idea of abortion, pro-life, pro-choice, how politicized everything has gotten. I mean, down to like the reality of the Eucharist, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. But like, what is happening to the members of the Catholic Church that like so many Catholics are now like deviating from like truths that are so close and so important in our faith, like the respect for life, um, like the reality of the Eucharist. Like, what 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 do we do about this? So, um, for this question, I'm gonna. Uh... Refer the listener or you um, to Monsignor Shays from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Um, because, although I have not read the book, I have heard a uh, presentation by him on it. Oh. Um, and it explains the answer to that very question, I think. And yeah. the reason for this is a hundred years ago, we were in. A Christian society. We were in a society that was ordered to Christianity, Christianity and the government and schools and everything was intertwined such that, um, you know, Christian morality was interwoven into the framework of society. Come post World War II. The society is no longer Christian. It's secular. And so secular things are woven into the framework of society rather than the church. And therefore, every aspect of your life, be it public schools, be it the government, whatever, instead of having those undertones of Christianity, now have undertones of secularism, which, Mm -hmm. as we know, is antithetical to the fact. And so... In every aspect of our lives today, we live in a society that promotes secular values. And so we as humans, or as frail humans, were susceptible to that problem. The problem is that the Catholic Church is still in, in the mindset that we're in a Christian society. And when I say the Catholic Church, I mean the people within the Catholic Church are in the mindset that we still live within a Christian society. We don't live within a post-Christian society yet. In my opinion, we live in a post-Christian society. The world is no longer Christian. Um, and so, as much as it likes to believe. And so we return to the first few centuries of the church when the world was not Christian yet. Uh, before the world was Christianized, the world as I've been saying it this whole time, is the Western world. You know, the, the, the sphere of influence of Christianity um, uh, as it pertains to the discussion here. Um, in the first few centuries, the world was secular, um, and Christianity had to find its way to grow through that, and it did. And so now society is back to being secular, and Christianity must once more find its way to grow like it did in apostolic times uh, to grow the church once more now that we're in a different age of Christianity, if you will. Yeah, that is actually really enlightening. I, I, I like that, that view of like, what type of world are we living in? Because I think that's so, such a dangerous thing to assume that we are 
And like, like you like to say, we are in the Bible Belt, yet we're surrounded by secular things even here. So, you know, it's hard to say that the world is still Christian when things are just so normalized that are just intrinsically not Christ-like, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that's a pretty bomb answer to that question. Well done, Chris. Or Monsignor. Monsignor Shea. As the yeah, case I was not you. referring to Chris as Monsignor. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. That's a joke. Uh, well, speaking of Monsignors and authority in the church, popes, apostolic succession, kind of controversial. You know, like, why do we listen to the pope? Why do we listen to bishops? Like, and yes, we might have like talked briefly about this previously, but, you know, just, just spit out some facts for the listeners. So, uh, my answer to this question depends on who you're having this conversation with. Um, if you're having with, the, with, with a Protestant or with an Orthodox, uh, we'll defer from if you're having it with, with, a, pro, with a non-Christian or somebody without a Christian background. Um, because actually you can prove the authority of the Pope over the Christian church more easily to a non-Christian than you can to a Protestant or an Orthodox person. Um, and, and the basis for that is you say we're Christian, so everybody follows the Bible, and it says in the Bible, Peter, etc., etc. Um, and I say etc., etc., because I'm going to cover it now in the second part. Um, with Protestants and Orthodox, it's different. With Protestants, it's, it's kind of similar um, in, in the fact that you, you would want to answer the question by saying, well, um, this, this is the state of Christianity post-Jesus, and then go into the fact that, well, Peter and the Twelve went out, and they started making disciples, and, you know, there were 72 elders who we consider the first 72 deacons, and then you know, they go out, everybody goes out, and there ends up being bishops of different communities from the earliest of Christian times. It's very clear, you know, we can we can trace John to Polycarp. Um, we, we can look at, at the whole church and see that there is very clearly this idea of apostolic succession from the earliest of times, and um, we can trace that to the leaders of the Catholic Church today, therefore, um, the same authority that that you know the first disciples had, that Peter had, um, rests in the bishops and pope of today. Um, now, I want to iron that out some more. We're progressively getting more difficult, right? Um, so, so least difficult is is non Christians. Moderate difficulty is Protestants, and extremely difficult is the Orthodox because, <laughs> because the problem is the Bible has two different ways of telling the story. Um, the good news is with the Orthodox, you don't have to argue apostolic succession because they believe in that. Um, it's, it's crazy that the two oldest Christian churches, uh, or two of the four oldest Christian churches, I mean, all four, I guess, really, but 
the other two are minor. Um, all of the oldest Christian churches believe in apostolic succession. What the heck? It's like it's Try like it actually makes sense. Sarcasm. Um, um, so, so yeah, the problem comes down to the Pope, right? Why? Why is the Pope the head honcho? Um, and and so you're gonna quote if if you're a Catholic, you're gonna quote one part of the Bible where where Jesus goes, uh, "You're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And give you the power to loosen, bind, etc., etc. That's given directly to Peter, and Peter's clearly the best out of all the apostles um, because Jeez, it's tell given. Us you have a favorite. It, it's given to him. Yeah. Um, and okay, well, that's evidence for the Pope because the Pope is the sex, successor of Peter because Peter died in Rome. Yes, it makes sense, right? Now, now the problem is the problem is. No, keep going. I'm just. You're just helping that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Emphasizing the yeah, argument. Like, okay. I'm just here to um, make it sound cool. The problem is also in the Bible, it gives all 12 or 11, I think, um, the the power to loose and bind. <laughs> um, so that's a problem, right? Because in, in one scenario, we have only Peter. In the other scenario, we have uh, all... All, all of the disciples and are uh, these... being able to loose and bind. And so the Catholic Church position would be like what well, was given to Peter first before Jesus died and was given to the Twelve after Jesus resurrected. And therefore, um, you know, Peter's clearly uh, above that. Also, the whole upon this rock thing. Um, so Peter's, uh, the Orthodox would be like, well, you know, the twelve have that authority shared equally among each other. Um, like Christ gives all of them equally in that passage post-resurrection, and therefore all twelve have equal authority. Therefore, all bishops have equal authority. Um, and but how and confusing that would that be? Well, it's not very confusing. Uh, well, with the way some bishops are today. I feel like that would be very confusing. Well, if you were to get a bishop from Washington D.C. and a bishop from like Oklahoma, they would even differ. Probably, yeah. But I mean, everybody's going to differ a little bit here and there. Uh, the The thing is, these bishops usually uh, save uh, the Patriarch of Moscow at the moment. Um, I'll get into that in a second. Um, these bishops usually don't clash with one another a whole lot, like publicly. They don't publicly go at each other's necks and be like, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. They don't do that. What they do is they have these things called synods, which uh, we're actually having like a synod right now in no the Catholic way. Church. Um, it's a novel concept. It's also uh, the most horribly... Uh, social media uh, <laughs> produced thing that I've ever seen. It's online synage? Synage? <laughs> um, no. No. So, so anyways, that's beside the point. The point is, they have synods, the bishops come together and make decisions um, kind of like the USCCB 
But the UCA was cool. But the USCCP doesn't have authority, but the Senate does. It's that is so it's easy. just a different way of having an authoritative structure. Uh, my my alternative example that I gave was the Patriarch of Moscow. The Patriarch of Moscow um, separated from the Patriarch of Constantinople. The the Greek and the Russian Orthodox Church split uh, that occurred several years ago. Um, like thousand or like no five? like more recently. Oh. Um, and so the problem with that whole thing is that the Patriarch of Moscow thinks that. Um, that that Putin is a great guy and everything, oh. and um, and that the war is good, oh. and uh, it also probably helps that he's best friends with Putin, and uh, does he get his money? No, they're just like best friends. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like if I were Putin and you were the patriot. If you are killing thousands of people um, and are a dictator, I'm not gonna be friends with you. Sorry. Well. <laughs> okay, maybe they're closer friends than us then. Uh, so You would be friends with me. Chris, if you killed someone, I wouldn't be friends. Actually, I mean, I would pray for you. But, like, anyway, I'd drive you to the police that, station. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point. The point is, like, they're, they're, like, they're like tight, right? Um, and, like, it's a bad tight. Uh, of course, the, the patriarch constantly sit up when everybody else is like, yeah, no, this war bad. Um <laughs> Obviously, and so it's just making the divide between the two even greater. Ugh, um, we don't like that. And and so yeah, it's it's a rough situation currently. But yeah. Okay, well I'm gonna close this chapter because I feel like we've already lost a lot of people. But <laughs> <laughs> and next question. Um, there are actually two. I want. I should have pulled this up before. <laughs> Human cloning. Yeah. Do we support it? And this kind of goes along with in vitro fertilization uh-huh. and all of the Why crazy. Why don't you lump this together with the life and dignity of the human person stuff? Because you can edit it. <laughs> I'm not gonna. No. Um. Well, because it's it's different. No. It's cool science no. stuff. <laughs> Okay, so you want me to give my opinion? Yeah. Well, opinion. The give, opinion. Give the yeah. church's opinion. Are your opinions and the church's? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, cloning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one needs two Chris's in the world, it's, so we're it's, against it's it. It's a cool concept, like, scientifically. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> like, 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 the academic in me is like, wow. It'd That's be cool, so cool if we had like a hundred like Emmas walking around, and then I'd okay, be like, I got the on the podcast. Out, it would out. be cool if there were a hundred of me. That is so. And then, and then I would be like, "Yeah, the world can't handle this because <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much greatness." Um, so the problem, of course, is the fact that, um, you know, the human persons are supposed to be created. Um, through the, the conjugal act uh, given to us as a part of marriage. Emma's covering her ears because she can't, can't she, she's too young to hear this. Um, now and so, older. so the fact is um, that, that the church holds the position that, you know, you should only be created um, from that act um, because 
that's how God ordered creation to act. However, comma, um, you aren't any less a person if you're a cloned person, is, is what the church would end up saying. And so the question would become, if cloning of, of humans became a thing, would the church allow them to be baptized? Yes. Yes, because they're a human being. being. Yeah. Big surprise. And so uh, the same, and these are similar, which is why I think Emma lumped them together with IVF, is that, uh, yeah, the person is still a human person, even though they were not conceived in the marital act. So we still baptize them because they're humans. Also, it was a decision their parents made, which would be a sin that their parents committed, and we can't put that on the person. That's like Wait, so stupid. is the Catholic Church against IVF? Yes. Okay, question though. Because. No, well, this is the question. Okay. Are you going to talk about the freezers? Yeah. Okay, here's my <laughs> big question, because this was a big problem for me, was like, if you don't know what IVF is, basically they make a person in a oh, petri wow. dish. Yeah. Um, and like, so cool. Like, my best friend is a test tube baby. So it's like, obviously, I love that she's in the world. But it is such a weird concept for me to try to grapple because it's like, okay, yes, there's, you know, this crazy awesome science that can give couples that wouldn't be able to have children children. But at the same time, when you're doing this, they don't just grab one egg, one sperm. They do like a bunch all at once and then implant a certain number of them. And the rest sit in freezers. But they can't be destroyed because for some reason we can agree that they're alive, but they're just sitting there suspended. So these embryos, these babies, these people, what happens to them? They're, they're not alive. They're not dead. Well, they are alive. But, like, you know, what are they just suspended in time? Or do they so, get to be in heaven? Or So, yeah, first let's backtrack uh, to before you, you had to make your point. Was, like, so, yeah, the reason the church says IVF bad is not necessarily because it occurs outside the conjugal act, which is an issue, but... Also, because cause at that point, like, IVF would be no different, really, effectively, than two unmarried people, you know, creating a baby. Like, effectively, that's, that's the difference. Um, the problem becomes the fact that multiple embryos are created, um, which means multiple human beings are created, which means... Uh, People who have been conceived through IVF have, like, a lot of siblings um, in, in the eyes of God. And so, um, and in the eyes of the church, I suppose, too. And so, um, so yeah, the, the problem is life and dignity of the human person. If we are humans from the moment of conception, which we are, then, um, you know, there's, there's, I don't know probably millions of like people that are frozen in time basically yeah um and so that's a problem um they each have a soul uh and they're kind of just chilling 
No pun intended. That was a. That was I really did not so intend bad. to do that. That was so I bad. I really did not intend that to do that. That was so um, bad. <laughs> but they are, so. <laughs> so here is where, you know, I have a question. Like, obviously, I don't think anyone is able to answer, like, you know, what's happening to those souls. Because, like, only God would know that. But the next question is, theoretically, IVF. I'm married. Oh, no. For some reason, can't have children. Mm -hmm. So I decide I'm going to do IVF because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a problem with, like, my uterus or anything. I just think it's something's going wrong, okay? If, say, I went to an IVF doctor, and this is, like, theoretically I have millions of dollars to spend on this because no one in their right mind is spending the thousands of dollars to just try for three embryos. But say I go, I only want three. I only want three eggs, three sperm, three embryos, and I want them all implanted in me. Mm-hmm. Is that allowed in the Catholic Church? Because at that point, you're not, you know, there's no. No, because, because remember, I said before, before we even talk about there being multiple embryos existing, the problem is with with that pre-state is that the the marital act is separated from the conception of a human being. True. Right? So that's your problem and you can't remedy that. That's just so interesting. But like, hmm. So, but if you took out that argument theoretically, which you can't, it would be okay. If you said... If, if the Catholic Church position was, like, anybody can have sex, basically, that's what you're saying, right? No, it's just, that's just... Yeah, I mean, that's... that's that is a hard, hard teaching to think it about. Is, it is hard, especially for couples that are infertile and, like, can't have children. conceive for some reason. It's difficult um, in... in my suggestion being a lowly uh, 20-something male um, with no experience in this whatsoever. Um, let, let's just get that disclaimer out of the way. Um, Chris is actually the dad of seven kids. <laughs> I'm not. Let's get that clear. Um, no, so, um, yeah, disclaimer out of the way. The talk to your pastor is kind of my advice. Yeah. And, and hopefully your pastor is one who will give you good, holy guidance in that scenario. Uh, theoretically, not a great guy straight out of seminary because he's probably not well-equipped to deal with Don't that situation. Don't um, Yet, he's, he's probably not, you know able to to understand that deal with it with as much grace. grace and compassion as a an older priest who probably has had this conversation before would um and and through that hopefully there have been instances of priests who have been like yeah go do ivf anyways uh no that's not what the catholic church says um but you know they wanted to appease the couple or whatever um, I can't give advice to a particular situation, obviously. Um, 
However, prayer um, adoption is needed too because there are, you know, millions of babies also who have been conceived and have survived their time in the womb and now are unwanted. And um, we need good Catholic families to adopt as well. Uh, the adoption system is flawed. Don't, that's an, another conversation for another day. Um, but like realizing that God won't give you anything that you can't handle. And yeah, you've probably heard that a thousand times. Um, but also that's the position of the church. That's what you have to grapple with and wrestle with. And yeah, it's difficult, but we all have trials. That one's arguably one of the hardest trials somebody has to endure. But um, Yeah, that is a really, really difficult teaching to try to, to grasp because it's just like so hard to think about, um, you know, someone who wants that not being able to. So, yeah, that's definitely really interesting. Um, definitely probably a lot more information out there um, to look at Catholic teaching on that. Yeah, you ask more educated people than yeah. Emma and I. <laughs> Don't ask me <laughs> at all. I literally <laughs> asked him a question. But, yeah, that that's just one of those teachings that, like, if you haven't been made aware of, of, like, why that could be controversial, you should definitely look into. Um, two questions remain. Okay. This one's a really quick one. War. You know, that we talked about life and death and all that good stuff. But, and we talked about how, like, there's very limited circumstances where killing something, Mm -hmm. someone, is okay. One, there's literally, like, the person is so dangerous and there's no way to, like, contain that person to where it's not, that person's not killing other people. Whether that be, like, an act of self-defense where the person is literally running at you with a gun or um, an act of, like, you're in the middle of the desert and there's you're with 50 people for some reason and there's one of them is killing everyone um, and you don't have access to a prison. Um, things like that don't really happen anymore. But that's an example. Last example is a holy war. What makes something a holy war? Nothing. Um, there's no such thing as a holy war. So uh, that answers your question. Mine squashed. What do you um, mean? So are we saying that everyone in the military killing people no, are in but, states of moral but how can you how can you call a war holy? So your question is, <laughs> what about soldiers who their job, uh, if if ordered to do so, is to kill people in war? Um, this is what we call a just war, uh, oh, wow. which is different from a holy war. Because something would, it, you, you can't, like, make holy something that's bad. Because uh, then you get the Crusades, which were bad. Very bad. Um, Not our best moment as a Catholic church. <laughs> therefore, uh, we, we have this thing called just war. And that idea is that people go to war from... Mm-hmm. Um, only if the war is for a just cause, mm. such as Ukraine defending itself, yeah. that's a just cause, um, or or arguably even us helping Ukraine defend itself would be a just cause because you know we're we're standing up for sovereignty and and 
and you know you know standing up against people who are being oppressive because oppression bad yeah um, falsely call, calling people nazis bad um you know yeah so nazis just, bad that's just war um the idea that um that you go to war um in order to do in order to not kill but to support um a just cause and what a just cause exactly is you know there's a gray area and so people have um done a whole thing with that and so um yeah it's it's difficult okay so then your question might be um well what about like the russian soldiers uh you know but they don't have knowledge like right and so the thing is the my response to like that situation is what what are what like there's several things that goes into whether a thing is bad or not and like among those is like well why are you doing this thing you know what other circumstances are there surrounding it what exactly are you doing um et cetera, et cetera. and so in in that case like likely you can't say that that a russian soldier's soul is susceptible to eternal damnation because they killed people uh because it's really probably not on them emma is stretching in the middle of this podcast what's your final question um good answer by the way didn't know that so why my back was hurting why do you have to do that in the middle of the podcast though because you're answering questions yeah but then it was your turn to speak and now we're off on a tangent oh no (laughs) oh i already made an apology inside the video of me rapping um I, yeah. Okay, last question. Yeah. Fun one. And okay. not a banger. <laughs> Women priests. Do yeah. you think they'll happen? <laughs> no. Ah! Definitively not. If they do happen, I'm leaving the church. <laughs> Whoa, you heard it here, guys. Honestly, I agree. Um, I think it's not really controversial question, but it is a question that has been brought okay, up. Okay. It's not a controversial question to say, will they happen in the church? It is a controversial question to say, should they, should they be a thing? So would you like to discuss that? Well, sure. Should they be a thing? No. Thank you. <laughs> the reason, the reason, uh, of course, because we have a reason for everything most of the time. Um, none of the 12 were women, and Jesus had women as his followers, and uh, Jesus went against the norms of the time. However, Kama did not choose one of the women to be one of the 12, uh, which would have been radical at the time, but Jesus was radical, so he didn't do that because he had a reason for that, probably. Uh, also, Jesus was a man. Therefore, to be in the person of Christ, be a man, um, reason concluded. In addition, 
Okay, because, you know, that was a good argument. But even more than that, you have to look at the role of men and women. That is a controversial question, roles of men and women in the world. And, like, that is something that I think Chris and I can agree on because we've slightly talked about this before. But, you know, men were created to lead women, you know, not to, like, follow, but to perfect that leadership. You know, it's a partnership but there's a give and a take. And the role of women is not best. We are not made to do that kind of thing. Just like in the same way, like a man is not created to be a mother and love in a motherly way. Women are not made to love in a fatherly way, um, which then can go into the priesthood and like what is asked of priests as people and as part of their jobs and what women are called to do. And that has to just go with like, you know, the way we were, we were created biologically, our personalities, our tendencies, um, and you could go off on that tangent forever, but... One might say that men and women were are complementary to one another. Oh my gosh, like puzzle pieces. Just like how the church and priests are complementary to one another. Just like how the church is the priest's bride. Yeah, that, that's why I know. Um, One might also say <laughs> that religious sisters in Christ are complementary to one another. So that's actually where I was going. Is like the the thing that gets miscommunicated and why this is a controversial thing is the idea that the Catholic Church is against women, which it is not. In fact, Chris has been on this very podcast and said that religious sisters are closer to heaven than priests are. <laughs> I, I would also, uh, that's a qualified statement, but I'd also like to point out, I was doing a reading for class this week, and it said that a form of anti-Semitism is to say that Judaism is anti-woman. And so, therefore, uh, everybody that has all ever said that the Catholic Church is anti-woman it's anti-Catholic bigot, apparently, now, is what I can claim based off that reading in class. Okay, that was a big tangent. Anyways! Yeah, but, but, the but my Church. point is that, like, it's a bad form of argument to claim such a thing. Yes, and the reason because of that is it's just not true. The Catholic Church could not function without women, and the Catholic Church could not function without men. Because God made the world with man and woman. Even during Jesus' ministry, women had a role, um, which, again, even for that time was controversial. You know, we think about, you know, Mary Magdalene and, like, her role and how the women followed and how he cared for and spoke out for the women who were oppressed at that time. And it's just so powerful to think about. But then we also think about the religious sisters and all these orders coming out and, you know, potential orders that are not priest-like, but parish oriented um, which I actually have heard about um, what's it called orders being created to help serve parishes in the same way priests do to reach a different type of audience who knows if that will actually happen but like the point is the role of women is not diminished but you know some would say highlighted within the church you just have to open up your eyes to see it they might not be the people in the funky clothes well they might if they're nuns but 
they're not going to be the priests, but that doesn't mean that they're not needed. Um, yeah, the priests don't make the church. The religious sisters don't make the church. The priests and the religious sisters, but mainly God, create the church. I was going to say ordinary, everyday people <laughs> make the church. The Can church is... Me? The church is made to help us get to God. It's not made for God's benefit. God doesn't need the church to exist, but we need the church to exist, and we... Um, to tie it back, to be our anchor in a secular, anti-Christian world. Post-Christian. Post-Christian. Maybe anti-Christian, but that's a conversation for another day. And actually, another season oh, of this yes. podcast. Um, and so, ladies and gentlemen, the final two episodes of this season are already planned out, as well as all of season three. And so this is the final episode that we are actually having, like, conversation until maybe season four. Who knows what's going to happen uh, by the time we get to this fall in season Basically, four. Chris may be uh, writing me off. Maybe um, I'll so have a new friend. I'm really uh, gonna need you guys to vote that I'm the better host <laughs> so that I can stick her out. <laughs> no, so um, just to give you guys an overview of what to expect over the next few months of this podcast, in two weeks from now, you'll hear a podcast about Easter, and Pasqua! it's gonna be a a very cool podcast. Emma and I are gonna go to two different Easter. Uh, Easter vigils, basically. We're yeah. going to go to the Roman Catholic Easter vigil here at St. Thomas More on Catholic Easter Sunday, which is this Sunday as what, we're recording what? the podcast. Uh, it will be last Sunday as you're listening to this. And then the Sunday after, Saturday night after, we'll go to what they call Pascha at a uh, Antiochian Greek Orthodox church here in Norman. Um, a very similar set of, um, of liturgies in one way but uh, also entirely also different different but they do the same the very same things you have readings you have the service of light and you have the body blood soul and divinity of our lord and savior jesus christ and so we'll talk about the similarities differences and things like that um in that next podcast it'll be emma's first time uh at a divine liturgy so that will be fun yeah uh just to, to, to experience, and yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I also want to compare and contrast a little bit between the two Easters. Um, super interesting. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, also, by the time you're listening to this, you'll have a few days uh, to, to potentially go to a Pascha service of your own, and I encourage you to, if you're Catholic, realize don't you can't receive communion. Well, you so, shouldn't so receive <laughs> communion there. We'll talk more about this later. Uh, you shouldn't receive communion there. However, I encourage you to go. It's a very beautiful service, similar to the Easter vigil of our own in terms of like glorification and, and, and extra things. <laughs> the final episode of this season, released four weeks from now, a month from uh, this episode's being released, is an introduction to season three, which we're making a part of season two. Um, in order to give you guys an overview of what's coming in season three, as I mentioned a few episodes ago, I'm now a seminarian. Uh, for the Diocese of Columbus, and so we talk about that process over the course of season three. Uh, most of that's already been recorded, 
but uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a very cool um, opening, eye-opening experience, I think, into what the seminary process is like, at least that early application phase um, yeah. of of seminary. So, which or, is or actually, I've lived through it, and I've recorded the episodes, and. It is very interesting. I am a cradle Catholic, and I didn't know that a lot of all of the stuff that went into it. So it's it's very interesting and very cool um, from the perspective of like talking to a seminarian about the process as he's going through it. I think very unique and amazing idea of Chris um, to give a lot of insight to something that a lot of people don't really know about, and I think it could be great for people, you know, considering you know, seminary to, to listen to and just get an idea of, of what to expect. But, and then, of course, season three over this summer will be the actual content of that. Um, and then this fall, maybe take a break, maybe move on to season four. We'll see. Time will tell. As maybe I said, have Emma, maybe not have Emma. As I said, I vote in Time the poll. Tell. Keep me here if you want me. <laughs> but um, shall I do my job? Yeah. Okay. Move your feet. Um, because I have to get ready for my joke, which I already have, thanks to a good friend, Teresa Tran. Um, move your feet. No. Move your feet. No. She's hitting me. <clears throat> Today, in this episode of Returning to Tradition, we talked about Controversial Questions Part 2. Um, really interesting questions. Maybe you haven't even thought about these, um, and we encourage you to go and do your own research, um, obviously using correct websites. But if you have any questions, contact Chris. His number is 834-249-6924, um, and he loves getting calls, so just call him. Um, anyways. What if that's actually somebody's phone Someone's going to give out two it's, phone calls. It's not my phone number. Um, oh. Go for it. Um, okay, so, yep. That's all for today's episode of Returning True Tradition. Wait, do I do my joke with mm-hmm. it? Oh, okay. Can you like? No. <laughs> okay, today's joke <laughs> to end this off for real this time. This one goes out to Teresa Trent, who has already openly said that she does not listen to this podcast. So if she hears this, don't text me. If not, you've been exposed. <clears throat> How does the moon cut his hair? He eclipses it. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Over and out. I'm eating Panda Express right now. That was a hectic episode. <laughs> but it was good! You're gonna die during this. Yeah, probably. Honestly, I'm giving this all in like five hours. When am I gonna edit that? Chris, why'd you have to do that in the middle of the podcast? It was your turn to talk, and now we're off on a tangent. Yep, pretty much. Uh, I think you should put this But I'm in. allowed to, because I edit it. Um, I was talking to Harley, and I was like, yeah, after we record, I do nothing.
You're right. Yeah, I mean, you can't, but like, what's the name of the... Oh my gosh! Josh, why did you... I was gonna go into it and pause it. That way I didn't have to edit. And then Emma decided to scream. I got scared! That's an Aiden thing. Aiden started the However Come. Oh, bet my butt off. Bet. 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 Anyways. Yeah. Emma's getting a fortune cookie. This is going in the bloopers. What is your fortune? I swear if it's one of those fake fortune stuff. Oh yeah, because these are so true. That's no, 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 like one of the one of like the fortunes are like I don't know. Yeah. Well no I'm good. You don't break apart your fortune cookies. You're always there for a friend in need. Yeah, that's not a fortune. But it's the truth. Okay. You got a friend in me. I'm gonna get copyrighted. You <laughs> you got shut a up. Friend <laughs> in me. I'll just make it so unrecognizable. Yeah. Do you, do you know? Today we are going to go to beatboxing classes with Emma. So we start with the solid boots. Okay, so you really want to perfect the boots noise. Um, and then you're gonna go to cat. And then you're gonna add this. So it goes boots and cats. Um, and then you just repeat that very rapidly um, until you perfect it. Um, ideally, you are also freestyling um, some some mad lyrics to it. Um, I'm just going to say it here for all of you guys listening. I'm actually really good at freestyling. Um, so I can't really do it on the spot. It's just got to come naturally. But I, I have uh, spit out some, uh, some pretty sick bars. So, yeah. Um, that's... That's your beatboxing lesson with 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 me, Emma. You're you're better co host. <laughs>